When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. Allison. Yes? How are you? I'm okay. We're recording and it's still light out. Yeah. You know I don't like doing that. I do. I love summertime. It could stay light out till midnight. I'd be fine. I am done with summer. (laughs) It's really been hard on me this year with MS. I just, I'm done with this heat. Enough. Yeah, I don't think anybody's real psyched about the heat anywhere. We've got a cool show tonight. Oh, okay. Cool us off. Yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. A mixed bag. We've got Jason, who's got some Bigfoot stories, UFO stories, and orb. Charles, who's got a really cool story about a fire elemental. We've got some articles to read and more. It's going to be a cool show. But first, let's thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you for everything you do. Without your support, we could not make Strange Familiars. If you like what we do, if you like Strange Familiars and you'd like to get extra content and help us make the show, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All of our patrons get commercial-free versions of the weekly shows, as well as extra episodes every month. We try to do two extra episodes for our patrons every month. We promise at least one. We've already done two this month. And the Apple Podcast subscription has been worked out I can't see who is subscribed, but I can tell people have subscribed there. So I've been adding extra patron episodes. I've been adding the new patron episodes. So thank you to the patrons who signed up via Apple Podcast as well. That's another way you can support the show. Before we talk to our guests... I think it was last week, there was a story that was being passed around on Facebook from an old newspaper about a ghost of a cow with a severed head. But they only printed the headline. They didn't Mm -hmm. actually find the story. So I looked at this and I said, why, with my research skills, I can find that story. So I did some digging and I found it. How many headless cow ghosts did you find? Just this one. Okay. Just this one so far. Okay. This is from the World Magazine, New York, New York, August 9th, 1896. It is appropriately titled Ghost of a Cow with Severed Head. <laughs> 
the frightful spook that has alarmed the residents of Cambria County, Pennsylvania. Hideous noises issue from its throat. A new kind of spook has appeared to frighten timid people in Cambria County. A specter cow with his head severed from her body and dangling in the air in front of her has appeared to several people who have chanced to pass near her haunts at night and all unite in saying that the sight was most terrifying. Elmer Person, city editor of Pennsylvania Grit, a newspaper published at Williamsport, has investigated the stories told by several people regarding the apparition and finds that they all agree in every particular. He interviewed a number of folks who claim to have seen the spook, and he vouches for their respectability and declares that they believe the stories they tell. As described by the men seen by Mr. Person, the ghost is a frightful object. At a late hour at night, the spook is seen madly cavorting along the roadside, at times using the rail fence as a path, and occasionally careening wildly along stone fences and again talking to the air. At all times, the head of the cow appears severed from the body, looming fearsomely some feet in advance of the rest of the specter. The abode of the ghost is a ruined building near Johnstown. The building was formerly used as a slaughterhouse, and innumerable cows lost their lives there. It has been untenanted for years and stands in an isolated and lonesome spot. Ever since the butcher abandoned the premises, uncanny things have been told about it, and the children have been afraid to pass the spot at night. Many people who have passed the place after sundown have seen the bovine spook. They say that the form of a cow suddenly dashes out of the rick fence, was encountered at the edge of what is known as Climber's Hill. Then it followed the stone fence across the hill, and after giving one tremendous bellow, retraced its steps, arriving in front of the former shambles, the specter cow paused for a moment, and then with a wild burst of noises, more hideous than before, dashed into the building and disappeared. It caused intense excitement. Mr. Person puts forth the story as one worthy of all credence. He adds that the people for miles around are very much excited about the spook, and none are able to offer explanations that are satisfactory. No one has encountered the spook once can be induced to go near the place again at night, and one sight of the headless cow as she dashes down the road, bellowing hoarsely through the stump of a neck, is all that one cares to have. I get that. <laughs> the country about the scene of the terrifying occurrences is wild and hilly. There were formerly considerable travel along the road which led past the slaughterhouse, but since the ghostly cow has begun traveling the thoroughfare at night with teeth that look like bicycle lanterns and with a head that refuses to stay where it belongs, people have changed considerably, and people drive the other way. That headless cow spook seems funny in the daytime, said one man, but at night there's nothing funny about her. I saw her once and heard her bellow, and I shall not go past that old slaughterhouse again soon after dark. That sounds terrifying, actually. Yeah, I'm... Day or night. It's interesting that, like, this World Magazine, like, which conjures, like, the weekly world news, I don't know if it really was like that, like, a more of a tabloid kind of paper or not, but the guy who's the city editor of the Pennsylvania Grit, is that like the Grit magazine that all the old people used to get when we were I younger? I wonder about that. Like, for people who are, let's just say, younger than us. <laughs> because the interesting thing about Grit newspaper... Uh-huh. They regularly featured Bigfoot articles. Oh, really? Like articles on Bigfoot sightings and stuff. I remember when I was a kid, the elderly people next door to us, and they would have been born um, maybe like just right around the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. They used to read Grit, and they would have me come over on the porch, and they would, in Grit, you had to look for a needle that was hidden oh, yeah, in yeah. the newspaper somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like it was not a real needle. It was just like so thin. So you're li- literally looking for like a needle in a haystack, but they would have it somewhere hidden amongst all the articles and you had to look for it. 
Mm. But that's what I remember about Grip. But it was like kind of a, a trashy kind of... A, <laughs> wasn't as trashy as the Weekly World News, but it was sort of human interest stories and fanciful tales and stuff more so than like yeah. than a Newsweek or something Yeah, and like I that. think throughout the 70s, they were featuring Bigfoot sightings pretty frequently. Oh, that makes sense. That's I'd love I... to get them. I don't know that they're in a newspaper archive. I'd love to have access to them. Oh, yeah. Because I think some people have sent me some articles from Grit. But... And somehow, because I was not familiar with the food grits, uh-huh. and my only reference for it was from... Kiss My Grits. Kiss My Grits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which, again, if you're younger, you're not going to get that reference. Nope. But that was from a TV show called Alice in the 70s. And because everything in the 70s ran in syndication all through the 80s, you could be anywhere from, you know, 80 to 45 and still remember these. <laughs> and because that was called Alice, I would constantly get that confused with Alice's Restaurant. Yeah, I know. Because they were, they were um, waitresses. Mm -hmm. You can get anything you want there. All right, so this next story. I don't think we've ever had an elemental story on the show before. Charles is a blacksmith, and he has this story about this, what he feels was a fire elemental. It's a really interesting story. Let's go ahead and get to my talk with Charles. I'd like to welcome Charles to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. You reached out to me with a story that we've never had before, so I'm very excited to get this. And it's a story that, I mean, Fire Elemental kind of describes what you saw. Give us any background that's necessary and walk right into it. Well, I think I almost have to reverse it in order to do it because the main incident, that's kind of the way I view it, happened 20 years ago. Okay. And it affected me so much that I just, I couldn't talk about it, couldn't tell anybody about it. It was one of those events where, okay, is your mind playing tricks? Mm -hmm. And then it happened again. So when it happened again, then I realized that, okay, it's not my mind playing tricks and that I felt that talking about it and bringing this up, that this somebody else might be seeing this, and that just bringing this up on your show would be like the perfect venue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the things I've grown to really like about Strange Familiars, when people share these stories and then someone else will write in or, or call in and just say, hey, I've experienced something just like that or you know, very much like that. Yeah, so I was doing some blacksmithing where the fire that I'm working with is a coal forge. The heat itself is about 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So what I was doing was I put some incense, and in. to say that it was a ritual is really going far. So basically all I did was burn some sage, and I put the metal in, and it was on Halloween. So it, it, would you uh, use sage regularly? Is that something you regularly do? No. So what I'll do is I'll do it for like, like tomorrow's the solstice. So I will do it on the solstice mm -hmm. and I will do like special work. 
for that day. So if there's something special that I want done or forged or created, you know, I believe that there is intent and that those special days, stars and moons do align and that, you know, I plan my work around that. Mm -hmm. And I did for this day. So when I was putting in the, the steel, do you know those little camphor tablets? Have you ever seen that, that you can burn on charcoal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I took that and I had put that in the fire. And what happened was I didn't know how flammable, first of all, that was. Like when I put that in the 3,000 degree fire, that thing went up. Hmm. And directly after that, then it came back. And when I mean it, because it truly was, I believe it was an entity. And it was a, a bunch of flame that started hopping back and forth onto my work, my metal work that was into the fire. And that might not sound like it's a big deal, but if you were to take the metal and put it in reverse of the flame, that it would come backwards, like that's what it did. So if you replayed a fire and put it backwards, that's what it looked like. So the fire was hopping from the metal going back into the fire. And that's when I knew that it was back that it had come again because it was doing the same thing that it hit it, it did from before mm-hmm. and it acted with curiosity is the best way that i can describe it it was like it was playing that's the the best way that i can kind of describe it it was almost like it was like a little child going back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth from the metal into the fire Mm -hmm. and after a little bit it was gone I said this happened for about two minutes and I was kind of reeling because this is what happened to a a much smaller extent to the big event that happened 20 years ago okay so seg backwards 20 years ago I was working the a coal forge fire. I can't remember if I was doing burning the sage or whatever I was doing, but I do remember that when you're working the metal, you go kind of into a meditative state. Mm -hmm. And I want to also clarify that I wasn't on any um, hallucinogens or, you know, anything like that. I'm a public servant and I've been tested for it, even though I, I have had, hallucinogens i haven't uh had those for 20 years i would think it wouldn't be ideal to work uh, at a forge if you were hallucinating (laughs) yeah but there's always going to be those people that are going to say well you were under the influence or yeah i had to make sure that i put it out there so marijuana or nothing like that i was i was sober Mm -hmm. and i went into that meditative state and the next thing I remember seeing was that 
bit of fire coming out of the fire. And at first, I, my, my mind just couldn't process it. It was clinging around my work. Then the really weird part happened. So I don't know whether I went into it or it went into me, but our consciousness somehow went into each other and I experienced what it was feeling and I believe that it was experiencing what I was feeling. It was a totally alien, the best way I can kind of describe it is like, if you could go into the brain of an animal and experience that, where there's no higher thought patterns or, and I'm assuming this, but that's what it felt to me, that it was curious and what it was curious as to what I was doing. It wanted to know what I was doing and it basically wanted to take a peek at what I was doing. Hmm. I was in full control of my body. I still could do whatever I wanted to do. And this lasted for maybe 30 seconds. After that, it popped itself out and slowly went back into the fire. And just like it kind of did before, it was hopping back and forth, back and forth. And then it disappeared. But it left a mark on me. I mean, I couldn't tell this to anybody. You know, what am I going to say? Some strange bit of fire went into my brain. Right. And, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, as I'm starting to, you know, we're, we're, people are talking more about quantum theories and different realities converging and, you know, you know, maybe Bigfoot, a different quantum creature, you know, mm -hmm. good, bad, or different, you know, just the, just the possibility of that. You know, it's like, what's the, it's not possibility, you know, people have been talking about elementals for, that's been another big one that people have been talking about. Yeah, yeah. So when you had this <clears throat> interchange or mind meld or, what, you know, whatever you want to call it, were you able to sort of see in the perspective of whatever this was or... Was it more just a feeling? No, it was all feeling. Mm -hmm. It was all what its viewpoint was. It was what it was, you know, kind of like what it was wanting, what its little purpose was for that little second. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but the total alienness of the thought process is what really freaked me out, that it wasn't human. You know, it's like we think of things in... I don't know, linear fashion. Yeah, somewhat, Lin somewhat linearly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was not like that. This was totally different. This was on a whole nother, whole nother level. And it, I'm even having a hard time just trying to put it to words what it felt like. Wow. Yeah. And the way it sort of danced around, you know, 20 years previously was the same way you saw it the second time. Yeah, but this one felt like this one was smarter than the other ones. Like, this one felt like the other one was almost like it was a, a child. This one felt like this was the grown-up, if ah. that made any sense at all. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. 
yeah, like the other one felt like I'm just playing a little game. I'm a kid having a good time. The other one was like, I'm a grown up. What are you doing here? I'm checking you out. Mm-hmm. That's honestly what it felt like to me. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And of course, I'm sure you've listened to, you know, all of our shows about iron furnaces <laughs> and iron in the supernatural and blacksmiths and all that. And I can't help but think that, well, A, the act of literally forging something, of making making something, you know, making cold iron out of out of raw iron is an act of creation, you know. And mm-hmm. then all the history that's behind blacksmithing, it just, I don't know, it's, it, it, this feels important, but I don't know what it means or, you know, can't say anything beyond that. Right, yeah. And, you know, too, that, you know, it was a, it was a coal fire, too, you know, so I don't know if it had anything specific to the coal that I was using. Where did this coal come from? Ah. You know, the coal that I was using came from Kentucky. So, you know, we, we don't have coal here in Florida. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Huh. So do you not always use a coal fire? Oh, I always use it. Okay. Yeah. That, okay. A lot of the people around here use propane fires because it's so hard to get coal because of, of the logistics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's more rare the further you go away from coal country. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it is, too. So actually, when we just were talking about it, you know, maybe the coal actually had a factor in it that I never thought before until we, we were just talking about it, that that may have been something different. Yeah, because I, I do have a propane forge. I've never had that same feeling, or anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to reveal what you're making, you were making is fine. But do you think what you were making had any play in the situation either time? Yeah, that's possible too. That you, you know, because I was making uh, ritual items for uh, like harvesting. Okay. So right. making like a ritual knife, not not like it, it's more like a scythe mm-hmm. for yeah, yeah. like harvest blade for like wheat. Mm-hmm. That's what I was making. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we you have these layers of intent there. Now that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. When it dances out, like how I'm assuming it just looks like a fire, but it's coming. It's not in the forge. It's like you said. It's kind of dancing on your on your metal. How big was this? Was the flame then? As it, it looked like basically like a golf ball. Okay. Popping around, back and forth, is about what it looked like. Yeah, I'm sort of at a loss for questions because I just was like, it's such a cool story, and I feel like the iron's part of it. I feel like the blacksmithing is part of it, but I can't mm-hmm. tell you how it all works. In I think you're on the right path. Yeah. Maybe it's the coal. Maybe it's what you were forging. Maybe it's the semi-ritual aspect of it. You know, having burnt sage and so forth. Yeah. Uh, the intention, but yeah, I, I don't know. Wow, that's so cool, though. But that's the truth, and you know, as as they say, you know, I I know what I saw, and I saw what I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well. We'll see if anybody else has had anything similar and or maybe there's maybe they have had different kinds of elementals out there. I'd love to hear the stories from people. Charles, thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you. And I appreciate all you do.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So I'm interested if anyone out there has their own stories of encounters with elemental spirits. So is this like Calcifer? <laughs> Honestly, as he was describing it, that's exactly what I was picturing in my head. Oh, really? Uh-huh. I looked up, I was trying to find articles, you know, maybe old ghost stories or something mm-hmm. about elemental spirits. They probably weren't called by that name, right? So what did you search for? I searched for elemental spirits okay. or something like that. And... I found one that's pretty interesting. I'm not sure this is talking about the same kind of thing that we're thinking of elemental spirits. In other words, like a spirit of fire, a spirit of water, a spirit of earth, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But it is interesting. This is from the Los Angeles Evening Citizen News, May 15th, 1923. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, foremost apostle of spiritualism, comes to town. He is accompanied by his family and an untold number of elemental spirits, the elemental spirit being one of Sir Arthur's discoveries in 35 years of study of psychic phenomenon. Sir Arthur will be with us two weeks. We anticipate a pleasant hobgoblinish fortnight. Sir Arthur's elemental spirits, it seems to us, are odd creatures. They seem to be of no sense to the way they act. You can pretty well bank on what an ordinary human being will do under circumstances given. For instance, he will eat when he is hungry and drink when he can get it, an elemental spirit, on the other hand, can't be dependent upon. He's just as likely to do it the other way around. With all the advantages of an elemental spirit, as you would expect him to have acquired more than human intelligence, most of them have not, it seems. Take the elemental spirit that Sir Arthur found resting in King Tutankhamun's tomb. That was a good average type of elemental spirit. Sir Arthur had not been anywhere near the tomb itself, 
but he Sherlocked the existence of the spirit from the fact of Lord Carnarvon's death. He was the guy that died when he went into the... I believe so. Right? The spirit was at the tomb to guard the mummy of the departed pharaoh. The spirit remained on the job some 3,400 years. And with 3,400 years of nothing else to do but guard the ancient tomb and its treasures, it seems as though the spirit sentry ought to have acquired some experience on the job. A good alert human sentry would have presented a bayonet about the level of the Earl of Carnarvon's fifth rib when he and his gang of excavators showed up and ordered them off the property, but not King Tut's spirit. He let them break into the tomb and make away with the swag before he woke up. (laughs) And then he got even in the usual spiteful elemental spirit way by having a flea bite Lord Carnarvon. If we remember our history, elemental spirits had a high time in this country about the close of the 17th century. They were finally put in their place by the execution of 20 women for witchcraft at Salem. Since that time, this country has been comparatively immune from them, and we have maintained a rule of splendid isolation. Sir Arthur is interesting, though confusing. His redeeming feature is his optimism regarding the next world. In all his communication with departed spirits, he has never been able to learn that there is anything but happiness and contentment there. If, through his doctrine of spiritualism, he can bring hope to a despondent soul, wherever they may be found in this world, then surely we can't criticize him for that. It's a sympathetic view of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You don't always hear, they usually call him sort of a quack for all of his interest in spiritualism. So, yeah, you know, I'm not sure if they're talking about the same thing that Charles was talking about there, but, you know, it's an interesting little article about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I like the little dig at the the, the uh, Egyptian elementals not doing their their job. They've <laughs> had all those years to prepare for someone breaking in, and then they yeah. Next, we're going to talk with Jason. He's got a Bigfoot sighting from the time I think he was seven, and he's got a UFO sighting and an orb and some other stories that are fun. I'd like to welcome Jason to the show. How are you doing tonight, Jason? Great. Good to be here. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm excited to get your stories. Do these all take place at this one location? Yes, pretty much, yeah. So as comfortable as you are, you know, it can be as general or specific. Like, yeah. where was this? It's a small town in uh, in uh, western Washington, up in the foothills, uh, outside of Black Diamond. Pretty rural, outside of uh, that small town. Okay, so go ahead and walk us into your story. Okay, my parents bought this uh, property in the early 70s, and we're in the process of building a house. So at that time, we were just clearing the land. We'd just stay there on, uh, on like, uh, weekends, doing uh, just staying a camper clear some property and um, we'd stay and have a campfire and it was uh, getting close to dark and uh, my dad he uh, he was tired of this big dog every night every evening right before dark this big dog would come there's this like trail kind of beat into the and this was pretty uh, heavy wood so but there's this trail it was well worn and this big dog would come come walk walk through the property every night right at dusk so my dad, he gets up from the fire. He's like, I'm tired of this, uh, tired of this dog coming through here. So he goes out into the, into the trail and, uh, and it's walking towards him and it's big. <laughs> so he, uh, this dog stops like 
four feet from him, and he's just going to uh, lift his leg and yell "get," you know, to get him to get him to run. Right. right. So he, he just starts lifting his leg, and this thing just just lunges and mm. bears its teeth, and I mean, right up, right up out of my my old man just froze, and the thing just closed his mouth, turned around, walked away, and my we're all just kind of frozen there by the fire and and uh he looks over at us his foot still halfway up in the air and he's like it was a wolf <laughs> oh geez <laughs> and that thing never came back and that's probably the rarest they don't exist in uh even in that area at that time no wolves but it had to be a wolf it was it was massive mm. and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he's pretty funny he's just frozen <laughs> But uh, that's how rural this place. There are bears and bobcats, cougars. Yeah, you saw the picture of the place. It was pretty rural. Out there. Yeah, yeah. Without giving away where it is, you you showed me a, yeah. a picture of what it looks like currently, and it's. I mean, the backyard's backed right up against forest. There, it's beautiful. Yeah, it was a real great place to grow up. But this kind of <laughs> put a little bit of a. So my uh, my bigfoot story. Getting to that. So we get through, uh, we stayed in a trailer while the house being built. Built house just gets finished. And uh, we don't, I think we'd only been in for a month. I think it's probably 73, yeah, seven years old. And uh, so my parents never left a light on in the, in the house. I don't know what it was, but my dad liked it pitch dark. I think he thought it was like some kind of advantage or something. <laughs> so... <laughs> my dad was the same it was like it was, I, I don't know how much money they thought they were saving by not having a single yeah. light on but. I know I don't know yeah I'm the opposite I have every light <laughs> so uh, but anyway this is uh, this happened to like uh, middle of the night and uh, I me and my brother shared a room and my sister had her own room but my brother was gone and along with my sister which it seems kind of convenient they uh visiting some some uh, relatives and uh, for a week, but I stayed home. So one of these nights during that week, I get woke up with the dog. We had a small little Chihuahua kind of mixed dog, and it was sleeping with me. And I don't know. I think it's early morning, but the dog just starts that growling, but this kind of deep, like ooh, like. Like it's scared, you know, mm-hmm. real low, just, you know, and uh, I was like, I don't, I remember waking up to that and I'm trying to keep, but man, I just knew something was way wrong. I knew instantly, it's hard to get in. I'll just tell the story, but let's just say that I kind of knew what was going on. <laughs> I don't know why, but so I was petrified instantly, just petrified. And I, and, uh, I was like, I ain't looking at the window because we didn't have uh, drapes up or nothing yet. So the windows are wide open. But And there's no lights on the house. My eyes are used to it. But you can, there was still enough light outside. Moon, I don't know what it was. But mm-hmm. there was a difference. You could kind of see the branches outside and stuff. But I don't know why. I wasn't looking. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. And uh, I just rolled over and looked. And, I was, and we're up. You know, you saw the picture of how high that. Because the daylight basement, we're above that. So mm-hmm. all I see is the top of the, of the head go across the the window, the top six inches or so of a of a head. Wow! And I was like, oh my! And I just 
I knew instantly what it was. I'll go into why and everything. But even at seven, I, I had some history with uh, watching Bigfoot shows and stuff. But when that head went across that window, I was like, oh, my. So I just whoop, whipped back over. And uh, I was like, oh. And I heard uh, my dad had just uh, cut down some small trees that had fallen down and kind of stacked them up next to the down away from the house a bit. But the direction that thing was going on this little trail. I heard it knock that pile over, you know, like a rustle of wood, and then I'll go, oh, God. <laughs> so nothing after that. And then just maybe five minutes later, dog starts growling again. I'm like, oh, geez, here comes another one. And I'm not looking this time. I might forget it. And so I just kept my head covered in and uh, didn't hear anything after that dog growled for a little bit. But that was that. Wow. But who I was petrified. I mean, I've never been so scared. It was, it's mind-boggling. The fear that I had was just, I don't know. I've never felt it even 50 years later. I, wow. But uh, I remember I just praying for the daylight, you know, like, holy smokes, it's got please. <laughs> and as soon as it's got light, you know, I just bolted into my parents' room. And I was like, something, uh, I just said something was outside. I might have said, I think it was a Bigfoot or something. I don't know. But my dad was like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so right. uh, let's go look. <laughs> yeah, so we go down. So you have to go down and uh, out the front door. And uh, out. And at that time, the house had just finished, so it was still rough graded kind of, I think. And uh, he opens the door and he just goes, oh, there is tracks. Holy smokes. Probably half a dozen of these ones that are probably 18 just guessing I was seven, but I had, yeah, I would say, I mean, they were big, massively big. Then a set of smaller tracks, like 14s or so. And what was weird, these tracks were just immaculate, inch and a half deep, perfectly left, rights, you know, multiple of each. These would have been probably the best track ever. Wow. And you know, I was like, we should get some plaster Paris. And, you know, he's like, no. I was like, uh, why not? He's like, nope. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I wasn't going to bring that up anymore. And uh, he did, I just don't think he wanted anything to do with it, you know. But the small tracks kind of were closer to the house a little bit. And one of them, you saw the, like, that big front window. Mm-hmm. It had kind of a long overhang over the top, almost like five, six feet where the walkway was. And you could tell he had turned and like, put his hand on the, couldn't tell that he put his hand on it, but he, he had had to have, to look down into the window because his foot is like pressed. You can see the toes, like he stood on his toes, like he's leaning in mm-hmm. to the, look into the living room window. I was like, oh, Jesus. Wow. Yeah. But what people don't understand is what that does to you. As a seven-year-old kid, you got to live there. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to live my life. But man, I, I just pack that up and just put it on a shelf. I don't know how. I mean, it would come out, but I could live my life. I could go to school. I could play in the woods during the day. But boy, you wouldn't catch me out in the dark. Not by myself. I could be with other kids or anybody else and play around at night. But if by myself, forget about it. In the dark, at by myself, not going to happen. But yeah, you, the living your life afterwards is... Yeah, it's not uh, all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. 
Because you know, I mean, you know it's there, right? You do. And that's, people don't get that. People have seen this thing. You know something that nobody else knows. 99.9% of the population thinks you're nut. Right, right. But the people who've seen it know it. You lived it. Mm -hmm. And it is the weirdest thing to walk around on this planet with other normal people that, and you just know something isn't right with the world. It's kind of, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but if people have seen it, they, they know that, yeah, you just feel kind of out of place after that, I think. Did your dad ever bring it up again, or was it just, nope? Oh, yeah, I would. And he would never deny it. And I would bring it up, God, kind of stupid that way. I'd bring it up a few times when I probably shouldn't have. But he would never, in mixed company, but I would when I was younger. He'd never deny it. He just hmm. said, I saw the tracks. Wow. That's all he would say, I saw the tracks. Wow. So he believed. I mean, once you wouldn't have, I mean, there was no way not to when, when you saw the tracks. You know, my mother saw them, too. But my brother to this day well, just doesn't want anything, just doesn't believe that I ever saw anything, which is really weird. Huh. <laughs> he just, yeah, he just don't, I just don't think he wants to. I'm sure he, he believes me, but he just denies that I, I think some people just can't handle it. Yeah, I think it's easier just Period. to. Period. Yeah, yeah, just to put it to they're the side. Just, yeah, they're never, no matter what you say or anything. I've held my story for 50 years, and it's never wavered. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I had other things happen there at that same place. Well, before we get to um, those, yeah, when you saw this head past the window, did it just look like a really tall human head, or did you see any details that would have given away as something, like, not quite human? Well, looking back on it, at the time, I mean, it was, like, scraggly hair coming off of it, like, like it needed a comb job but it, so I had like the smallest sighting in history mm-hmm. a six inch sighting but so, but it was dark black I mean it stuck out it was so dark but the reason I you know and the footprints of course but I was into Bigfoot even at that young age because where I lived it was huge Maple Valley Washington which wasn't 15 20 miles away was probably the epicenter of Bigfoot for 20 years, mm-hmm. 60s, 70s. It was sightings every month coming in the paper, and we were into it kind of. We watched them. There were a lot of TV programs that had Bigfoot on it. So we always seemed to be watching them. They always seemed to be on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had a, I even, yeah, even at that young age, I, I was into it, boy. <laughs> and, uh, and sure, and I was like, really? That's good. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, jeez. But, uh, yeah, it's about it. Yeah, growing up where I did in Maryland, I, you know, at the time I didn't know there were sightings on the East Coast. So I was in, deeply into it, loved it, watched all, you know, in search of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was always like, well, I don't have to worry about it because it's on the West Coast. L- later on, I find out, no, there's sightings all over the country. But that probably kept me going into the woods and stuff and, and being pretty fearless as a kid, which I'm, I guess I'm thankful for that now. Cause I was yeah. deeply, I mean, I would read books about it constantly. I'd watch the TV shows. Just, it, I would definitely would have scared myself out of the woods. I think if I thought they were around. There's only one other sighting about a mile, mile and a half from uh, our place. There was a sighting years later, probably 10 or 15 years later, but that's about it. So, I mean, those, 
And, you know, even the little, we had some neighbor kids and stuff. There was like a, a small group of houses that lived in this. And other than that, it was just woods. But, uh, but then we had neighbors, you know, we had neighbors, but they were kind of spread out. But uh, neighbor kids would, I told them about it. And they, were, they made some fake tracks by their house. Oh, Bigfoot would come. No, no, it's not, not, it's not it. And so, yeah, so I was kind of that. They weren't horrible about it, but yeah. We was, did have a story a couple years ago on the podcast from uh, Black Diamond Cemetery. Yes, I heard that one. Yeah, yeah. When I went to school in Black Diamond and uh, grade school, it only went to six six grades. Still does, I believe. Then you have to go into the next biggest town. But I never heard any of that growing up. Not once hmm. anything about the cemetery. It's which is funny. Not that I was really into that inside of it, really. Right, right. Um, but no, it kind of surprised me when that. And I was like, then I after I heard the episode, I was like, really? And I looked it up, and I was like, holy smokes! It's supposed to be the most haunted place in Washington. I was like, what? The? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear a darn thing about. It. If I remember, they went there looking for ghosts, and whatever happened to them was very yeah. Bigfoot-esque. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I that's what I got from it too. I was like, yeah. Eh, yeah. that doesn't sound too much like uh, ghosts. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> it's butts right up against uh, some pretty deep woods there. So, mm. yeah. yeah, I would say that was probably more more likely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so same place. I'm in the back of the house this time. This isn't Bigfoot story, it's a UFO story, which is in, oh, by the way, no, let's backtrack. I never knew how high that window was off the ground. And I remember I was, uh, when we were building the gazebo, I was running some power out to it. And I happened to be walking under the windows at a tape measure. I was like, hmm, how high is that window? So I measured it from the ground to the, you know, the glass, nine foot two. Hmm. So this thing was nine foot six to nine eight. Wow. And I mean, that's within, and you know, it's that high. I mean, it was that high. Wow. So, yeah, this one, you're a small boy. So, yeah, these mighty 18, 20 inch tracks. I mean, these are the ones that you hear from in Washington, these big ones that, yeah, yeah. you know, I listen to uh, Sasquatch Chronicles sometimes too. And, and boy, his story just 12 footer and see it like that like he did forget about it yeah oh yeah i'd be done i'd be done right there yeah yeah, yeah wes's <laughs> account is one of the more terrifying ones. oh that is that's yeah that's unbelievable yeah <laughs> but uh anyway moving on to the so i'm probably 14 at this time me and my mother are in the backyard i just we had a back porch there and deck we're just standing on deck just beautiful 10 a.m Probably imagine it was summer again, or it was the weekend. I I wouldn't know exactly if I was in school or out, but just sitting there and just looking out the backyard there, and this huge plane goes across an opening at the backyard. Backyard's probably only 80 to 100 feet deep, maybe 60 feet wide, punched through the trees, you know. So you have 100-foot trees on the side and in the back, and this thing's just maybe 50 feet above the trees and just and it's but takes like two three seconds for it to go through this opening but it was shaped like a fuselage of an airplane and at the time we were just thinking airplane Mm -hmm. and uh, had like 
windows on the side and stuff. And I remember seeing faces in the window and hair, like a lay with like, you know, it was, it was the 80s. She had the big hair and everything. And I could see the whole face, hair, everything. Like these weren't tiny, you know, I see my good size window and, and it just kind of went through that opening. And my mother's like, wow, that plane was low. And, it, you know, and it's like the size of like a 737, you know. Right then the phone rings and it's the neighbor that I told you we lived, you know, where we lived. So they lived uh, closer into that gorge there. And and uh, she saw it, the neighbor saw it and called us and said, did you see that plane? And uh, we said, yeah, she said, boy, that thing was low. And so mom hangs up and turns on TV to see if there was a plane crash or something, you know. So my dad gets home, we tell him the whole story. And, and my dad's like, hmm. Your story's got a lot of holes in it. (laughs) (laughs) For one thing, a plane that size is going to be doing about 300 miles an hour to stay flying. It would have went through that opening so fast that we would have never even seen it. It would just been a blur. And you're definitely not going to see anybody in the windows because they're too small from that distance. You've got to be like right up to a plane to see anybody. Mm. And you're only going to see a little bit of their face. And I was like, oh, yeah. Those wings, uh, you know, the wings would be at that would almost stretch almost to the deck. And I was yeah, like, uh, yeah. I don't remember wings. And I don't remember. He goes, man, the, boy, the noise must have just almost knocked you over. Because we have a hill. So it was going, looking out the backyard, going from left to right, to the right, about a quarter mile away. It's a hill that goes up like 500 feet. He goes, that plane would have had to bank left, right, up, over. And it would have been full blast. And I don't, I don't remember hearing any sound at all. Mm. And I don't remember a tail. I don't remember uh, wings. And so me and my mother were kind of like, uh, yeah, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. And so, but I didn't have any fear with that. There was no, I just, just kind of went through that opening and had, you know, a slow speed and saw like human faces in the window. And, and uh, I don't think it was like an alien or anything like that. It just seemed like regular people to me. So. I mean, again, I'm just, I'm kind of looking at the picture of what the backyard looks like now. Mm -hmm. It must've been right at the treetop. Yeah. Those trees, uh, you see the ones on the left there are, are, they're probably hundred footers and it might've been 50 feet above that. Okay. And it was at the back of the place. So I would say at an angle, Mm -hmm. 175 feet, Mm -hmm. 200 at the most pretty close yeah yeah and uh, yeah you definitely should have heard something at least exactly but boy your brain goes to plane yeah doesn't go ufo yeah 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 that's totally natural i think yeah yeah which is weird because my brain went bigfoot right from the get-go at the bigfoot side which is all messed up i don't know Mm. but this ufo was just plane big plane and after the fact, you you know, when the old man's like, no, that don't seem right. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, that isn't quite right, is it? Yeah. So I'll tell you another story of something that happened. To, I'm the only one ever seemed to have anything happen to at anywhere around there, which is great. But I had a friend that lived in the little neighborhood that we had there, and uh, he told the story of uh, being chased by something. He was fishing, so he was probably older, probably 14 or 15. He left this neighbor's house, but it got, had gotten after dark. So, and it's dark there. There's no street lights, no nothing like that. And he's leaving. And it's probably a, he's probably two miles from the house. 
because these people live quite a ways away. I don't know if you live where the woods are like grow right up to the road mm-hmm. and you don't actually look forward, you look up mm-hmm. to, to walk, <laughs> you know, this, yeah, because mm-hmm. the only light is above you. Not You can't see anything when yeah. you look forward. Yeah, I, mean, I grew up on a road. It was called Dark Hollow Road. It was called that for a reason. And yeah, I can think many times. <laughs> The only friends I had, you know, at different times were miles away, and I'd go over there, and I'd always stay too late, and then I'd like, yeah. oh, now i got to walk home in the dark. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, God. Hated it, but he starts leaving, and uh, he gets probably a quarter mile from the house, and uh, something between him and the house he had left is, is following him, and he's hearing chains like chain rattling and breathing, oh, wow. and he just starts running, you know. And so he's, he starts running and he stops and it would stop and he'd take off and he's, and he did this a few times going down this and it was a paved road at this point. So he's going to another paved, the main paved road. And then he'd have to cut off to a, the dirt road that we lived down and he did. And so he's still a mile, good mile plus from anybody. And he just decides he's going to take off. So he just running as fast as he could. He said he breaking records because he said he gave it everything he had, and he books it. And this thing's chasing him the whole way, and he comes running. And how I come into this story, he we're kind of the first house down this dirt road, so he just came to our house. Mm. He just, and we're all sitting around watching TV. He just busts in, something's chasing me. Oh wow! <laughs> so we jump up, jump up, and run to the front door and. From the porch light, you see this goat come running down the driveway, dragging about 50 feet of chain. <laughs> <laughs> My boy, he got scared, I tell you what. <laughs> he came through that door. <laughs> uh, I thought I'd just throw that funny thing That's funny. There. No, that's because I'm thinking, like, well, okay, what could this be? The rattling chains? Like, this is a ghost? What's yeah. going on? Oh, yeah, that's it, funny. it broke his chain off and, and chased him down. Oh, he said funny. the thing would stop when he would stop. Just put him. That he said that one just. That's what freaked him out. Yeah, it didn't yeah. keep coming. It would just stop, and he was like, "Dang it, what is this?" And wow. I just, <laughs> so, the only thing that I've ever had besides that was uh, about late twenties, maybe thirty-ish. I started getting uh, sleep paralysis, mm-hmm. but the mind's not like anybody's I've ever heard of. I didn't have. I didn't. A lot of times I would, um, it would happen right when I was going to sleep and usually I was really tired and it would just like, I was instantly falling, going to sleep, but I'm like paralyzed Mm -hmm. and it would feel like I'm being pulled through the bed. It used to feel like I was being pulled down and I would just have to fight like crazy and and get myself woken back up. Well, I say like, it feels like I'm asleep, but I'm awake. But uh, after a while, it started noticing that, that I wasn't being pulled down. I was like rocketing up. At, it felt like I was just like, I've never heard anybody explain it this way. But, it was, you know, I kind of start falling asleep, but I'd be in that in-between. And I'd, woof, I would just start rocketing up at like light speed. It, not that I could see them, uh, you know, just dark. But just the sensation of just rocketing up at and like every molecule in your body just buzzing and then I just like forcing myself to wake up and mm. and then I'd have it sometimes waking up and not be able to move and think you're 
I think you're half, I was like half dreaming and half awake because I could see, I seemed like I could see, but I'm looking at my, my wife and I'm like, and I, I think I'm screaming, wake me up. Wake right, me up. Right. And, and I would just, man, it would take everything you had to force yourself awake. But when I'd be awake, when I would totally awake and the room didn't seem quite the same, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but I would have that, but I, that was, and I had it quite a bit for, for a long time. And then it just went away. Around what five age? Years spent. Probably mid thirties. Yeah. Probably started right around yeah. early, tw- late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, that checks. From what I read and from my experience, too, it kind of tapers off in the mid thirties. I'll, I'll still get hints of it here and there. Yep, me too. But yeah. not the full blown sleep paralysis like I used to get. I can control it a bit more now. If it, I know when it's coming on, and I, you know, I'll just not go to sleep at that time. I'll just mm-hmm. wait a little bit, mm-hmm. or. Uh, or I would just, I finally was able to just let it ride and just let that feeling just go. And I would just kind of just slam into a dream. Just, Interesting. Then I would be in that place and it just really benign, just kind of like a factory or something, just kind of just shadows of things. Mm-hmm. And then I would rock it out of that one and rock it into another one, wow. into another dream. Yeah. So... I don't know what that is. I just, I'm just hoping that somebody else has ever had that because it was, it's bizarre. I've never heard anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting, though. Well, yeah. since you brought up Wes, I'm going to ask you Wes's question, and there's no wrong answer to this. What do you think yes. Bigfoot is? This is where you know, we're going to get a little... I want to hear the woo thing. Woo! I haven't heard that for a while. Because <laughs> I'm going to get a little woo on you, I think. Uh, get woo. I love the woo. Get as woo as you'd like. That's where okay. I'm comfortable. Okay. So my feeling is that you kind of call this. Uh, the only person I even I hear even getting close to you is, is uh, Josh Cushing. Is that mm-hmm. your partner there? Yeah. Writer? Mm-hmm. He kind of, when I heard you two on another podcast talking about book you wrote together, you kind of get, got a little wooey there. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, he just glanced over it, kind of that, you kind of call this stuff to you. But mine's even a little more bizarre than that. I think that you have a, like a contract before you, yeah, that's, uh, that's a little weird. Well, <laughs> but, <laughs> all right. I don't know if you've heard ever heard of um, Michael Newton. He is a past life regressionist guy. No. I, and I've never... I've never done that or mm-hmm. any, but I've read about it. And he kind of talked about how you kind of choose your life and you, that you kind of call this stuff to you that you might even pre, because it gives you a kickstart. I'll tell you, that's why I just don't think it's just ever going to be figured out because I don't think it's real. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's real until it's there and then right. it's gone. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of where I'm getting with this is that it's real for you. It's mm-hmm. not real for anybody else. Mm-hmm. That's why you're never going to get a picture of it. You're never going to, nothing's ever going to be concrete because I just don't think they're around that long, mm-hmm. very long. Yeah, I think at they least come, not in the way that bears are. Exactly. They're yeah. not a bear rolling yeah. around this thing. I just, there's no way that these things are seen in every state, almost every country in the world, and we can't find it mm-hmm. and live in, around uh, Pennsylvania. I don't think so. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's just not enough ground there. Exactly. That's These the, things. That's what really kind of turned me from 
the flesh and blood thing because the number of calls I get around here, and I believe these people, they're terrified when they talk to me. Some oh, of them. Yeah. And the number of calls I'm getting, I'm like, where are, they, where are these things going? There's no wilderness <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what people point to, and they have a great argument. Well, how in the heck are you going to support a thousand-pound walking ape mm-hmm. in these areas? You're not. Yeah. And that's why I just think they're they're for you. They're not, and I think it's there to do something for you. Mm-hmm. I think they can be positive. They, at the time, you wouldn't think so, but boy, it it brought me down a path of interest into and i think it brings you into yourself where mm-hmm. you're supposed to be mm-hmm. you know that hey there's something else in this world besides the nine to five and right that get in dig a little deeper into your own self and that's where it kind of i think these all these roads are going is to get you to look inward a little bit instead of out all the time if that makes any sense it makes a lot of sense to me i'd say that's <laughs> that's as good an explanation as i've heard really that Again, looking at where you lived and looking at the backyard, yeah. if, if you said, no, no, I think it lives out there, I, w- I wouldn't fight you on it. But what you say, yeah. what you say, your theory makes, just rings more true to me than, than something it living out It does to me too. Yeah. Because yeah. if you, you know, you saw that picture, I mean, that is, if you wanted to say Bigfoot Central, that would be the place. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm the only one to see anything? Come on. Yeah. Not even a whisper of anything from anybody? That don't seem right. Yeah. And yeah, so that's the only thing I can imagine. I and I've listened, you know, read everything, listened to every podcast, and the, the stories to me, they just seem like this is meant for you. Like uh, mm-hmm. I think there's one on Wes's show that that uh, three people saw three different things. That, oh, that was on mine. That, that oh, was, was that yours? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, the fellow named Gage. Yeah, that's that's one of yeah. my favorite sightings of all time. Yeah, he saw the, yeah. the white one. His friend saw the black one, and the third person saw nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Now that's exactly the stuff I'm talking about. Right. I think if you were standing right there, your attention would be somewhere else if you weren't meant to see it. I think mm-hmm. you see it when you're meant to see it, and mm-hmm. that's that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But I've always had like. Uh, so I called that um, intuition, you know, that I had intuition of what was coming in that sighting. Mm-hmm. And I've had that my whole life. I'm, you know, I kind of just have, not that I ever saw anything or I have visions or anything like that. I just know things. I just have a feeling. Hmm. Hey, uh, I shouldn't. Example of that is uh, once I was in the car, just stopped at a light and the uh, whole fam's in the car and. And uh, the light in in Washington, we're not like California where I live. When the light turned green, you go. You don't wait. You don't. And the light turns green, and I don't go. And I will know that nobody said anything in the car. And it was longer than it should have been. Like where it got blatantly obvious, the car behind me didn't honk. Nothing. Nobody said anything. And this car rockets through the intersection at probably a hundred miles an hour. Mm would have just T-boned us and we'd been done. Yeah. And I remember the, my wife looks at me and goes, why didn't you go? I said, I don't know. I just didn't go. And that's how the story went for me. Yeah. So it kind of bothered me for months. Like, what in the heck was that? I think, and so uh, that light and uh, this, the car went through the intersection. And I said, what happened? What did, and she goes, yeah, we we were stopped at the light, and the light turned green. And I said, uh, "Why aren't you going?" And I said, "I don't know. Something's not right." And she will swear that that's how it went down. Oh, so and I will guarantee. Wow. So yeah. wait, so you don't remember saying anything? 
Oh no, there was ne- no, and there was re- not a word said in that car. Wow. And she says this whole conversation went on. Wow. And I'm like, and I was like, what? And I said, no, nothing was said in the car. And she goes, oh yeah. You know, I said, why aren't you going? And I said, no, 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 something's not right. And she will swear up and down that that's the way it went. And I was like, no, nothing was said in the car. And that's that. And I was like, that. then it got worse after that. I was like, now what? <laughs> what, the, what are you tapping into there? What, wow. You know? Well, I mean, you whatever know? it is was good. You know? Indeed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would have been something. And then um, the only other thing, I had a an orb sighting. But I didn't even know what these were. I would never even heard the word. And I just now, you know, that I kind of started listening to podcasts again, started hearing about these orbs. So I was probably mid-30s again, and uh, just going out. I lived in another town from by that time and had a house. And I would go out in the morning, put my boots on. I'd just sit on the front steps. And we had a tree kind of off to the right there. And a little walkway went like six feet, turned, went about six feet. Trees, kind of decorative tree in the, that space that it made there. And I'm putting, putting my boots on, and I just look, what the heck's that? And it's an orange ball about six inches off the ground under one of the branches, at the, almost to the edge, just like in the drip line. Of the, and it's probably a little bigger than a softball, and it's orange and kind of white and black. And they're all, you remember those? <laughs> they were a thing, I don't know what, the 80s or something, or 90s, when those balls that would, you would fill with water and they had a stem on it and you shoved it in the plants and the water would go oh, in yeah, and yeah, they yeah. were kind of mm-hmm. marbly. My wife goes to auctions. Yeah, my wife goes to auctions. We actually have one in the backyard now because she got one <laughs> at, at the auction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is that kind of marbly looking uh-huh. how they're painted or whatever but this was orange i think there was an orange one but it was like a swirling orange but dull like all shades of orange kind of whitish and black even would kind of just swirling around this thing and i don't care if that would have been a candy wrapper sitting there I went over and picked it up but i just ignore hmm. just it wasn't like casting lighter. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember what that's because I came out the door and I grabbed my boots and I go to sit down and kind of notice this thing. And I, you know how you, oh, so I had this, that uh, where you look at a light and you go into the dark and you still see the light in your yeah. vision, you know, yeah. that, that's what it looked like kind of at first. I was like, so I'm moving my eyes around and I was like, nope, that's not it. And, you know, because it would move with, and I'm just looking at it. And I was like, well, it's not, it's not the that ball of light that you see. And so then I just kind of looked at it, and I was like, well, that's weird. But for some reason, I just walked to the car and drive away. Huh. Didn't try to touch it, nothing. And to this day, I was like, well, why didn't I? You know, if it was a ball sitting there or anything, I'd have picked it up and thrown it in the neighbor's yard or whatever. Right, but right. I just didn't do a darn thing. I just walked on by and went to work. It was still dark in the morning when you saw them. Yeah. Yeah. A few hours before light. So, mm-hmm. so the light's just, just sitting there and why I didn't interact with it at all. I don't know. But I just, just, just walked on by. Could it be for the same weird. reason you didn't go through that green light. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. do. You know, I just kind of go with the, whatever my feelings are. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I got a fun question that I'm, I'm sure. want to start asking every guest this, and I've been forgetting. Okay. So you're going to be the first one I actually ask. All right. On the morning of April 18th, 1961, Joe Simonton saw a silver disc on his farm. This is the true story. He went out, mm-hmm. investigated, and actually stepped aboard the craft. He encountered three dark-skinned humanoids who handed him an empty jug. He filled it with water and brought it back to them. And in return, they gave him some pancakes. Would you eat the pancakes? Ooh. Actually, I've heard this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a famous UFO story. Yeah. <laughs> they gave him water and he, he made the pancakes. But I would not eat the pancakes. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I, you'd be surprised <laughs> that, like, I just in talking with people, like, on our Discord, how many people are like, oh, yeah, I'd eat them. I'm like, what? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> You're not getting it from a stranger. You're getting it from a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, not a chance. <laughs> not eating the pancakes. <laughs> All right, Jason. Thanks so much for sharing your stories with us. You bet. Sure. Pleasure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get to our curiosity of the week, I've got a short email that Allison's going to read to you. This is from Carla, and I told her I would read it on the show. Okay. But Allison's going to read it. Okay. I'd like to tell you about when a bay tree spoke to me. Our garden is large, and I was keen to cultivate it. Sadly, it didn't flourish because the massive bay tree next door kept it in a shadow. Nothing much grew. We couldn't get anything done about it, and I resigned myself to a gloomy garden with spindly plants and no sunshine. However, a couple of years ago, the house changed hands and the tree was cut down. There was suddenly light in my garden, and everything grew like mad, and I could hardly keep up. At Easter last year, I was weeding away with the radio on. It happened to be Jeremy Irons reading the Psalms, not what I had chosen, and thinking about the tree. I turned to look at it where it had stood and pictured how huge it had been and wondered if it knew how much I'd loathed it. Just then Jeremy read out Psalm 37, the very words, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. I thought, okay, tree, so you hated me too. (laughs) If there's a bit left that creeps under the fence and wants to grow, I'll let it. But we're not having any more wickedness or great power and certainly no spreading. Didn't Jeremy Irons figure into another episode we did? The Book of Blood thing or something, the Victorian blood book, wasn't he somehow? Oh, yeah, who owned it? For a while, it was owned by somebody. And wasn't the person that wrote the, what's that movie that you and Ursa watched about, Brideshead Revisited? Yeah, yeah, he's in Brideshead Revisited. And didn't the person who wrote Brideshead Revisited? Oh, yeah, Evelyn Walk. Um, he owned owned the um, the Victorian blood book. Yeah. yeah. So Jeremy Irons, Strange Familiar's connection. Yeah, he owns a castle, Tim. Mm-hmm. He owns a really cool castle. He should come on Strange Familiar's. He should maybe he should just let us have some time at the castle. Yeah, exactly. Strange. And if he doesn't want to give us time in in his fancy castle, 
maybe Jimmy Page would like to give us time in his fancy castle. Jimmy Page <laughs> certainly listens to Strange Familiars. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it, right? Jimmy Page, hey, we've got a pre-Raphaelite thing you might be really interested in. You should come on the show, talk to me about Aleister Crowley or whatever you want to talk about. You know, we can even jam together if you want. <laughs> if you want. I mean, I guess while we're we're naming, like, prize-winning guests, why don't we just make up a list of, like, Wished for guests. Wished for guests. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we should be able to, like, I mean, if we're going to have, like, fantasy guests, we, they should also be back in time. Like, they don't have to be people that are still alive. <laughs> Since it is strange familiar. Yeah, yeah. We get interviewed by Ouija board. Yeah. <laughs> so I found the curiosity of the week this week. Okay. And... This is one of my favorite CDs. I found an extra one. These are pretty rare. When they come up on eBay, I've seen them go for hundreds of dollars, like I think 300 plus at times. Usually they average around 100 bucks, these CDs, when you can find them. We're going to put it up for less than that. That seems fair. Yeah. It's called Gems of Celtic Story. This is volume one by Robin Williamson. Robin Williamson was a member of the Incredible String Band, who happens to be one of my favorite bands, although I, I prefer his solo work a little bit more, I think. This is him storytelling, but his storytelling is so far beyond most people's. He's playing harp while he's telling the story. He sings some parts. He does voices for the characters. He's very charismatic, and it's hilarious. And yeah, he's just great. Yeah. He's, just, he's just like one of those like sort of classic bards that like really knows how to tell mm-hmm. a good story. And this is... The tale, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Oh, are we going to try Irish? It's Welsh. Oh, it's Welsh. Yeah. I believe it's the tale of Kilwick and Olwyn. And I'm sure I pronounced that not exactly correctly. It derives from the early Welsh text, the Red Book of Hergist, the source for various legends now known as the Mabinogion. Apparently first written down in West Wales during the early Middle Ages by an author of unknown name, the story alludes consistently to a vast lore of British mythology containing pre-Christian druidic or bardic material and characters once deities now disguised as wizards, giants, heroes, witches, and queens. Between literature and folktale, Gillick and Alwyn is formed from the oral heritage, perpetuated by traveling bards and harpers from the earliest times. It is the earliest tale involving King Arthur, revealing the great king in ancestral setting centuries before his chivalric rebirth in the romances of European troubadours. I can't recommend this enough. This was family listening whenever we'd go on road trips. Mm. We'd bring... Does this have the Finn McCool story on it? No, I don't <laughs> believe so. That would be Irish. Yeah. But I thought that was one of those, like... He does tell that story. Oh, okay. It's just not on, this, okay. not on this CD. I believe I played that story on one of our Halloween episodes early on when I was, like, pretty fearless about, you know, playing songs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but we really don't have the right to play people's songs. I would love to get the right to play some of Robin's stories on the podcast. I mean, it would fit right in. That's mm-hmm. absolutely perfect stuff. Or he, if he's listening. <laughs> yeah, Robin Williamson could come on. Sure. <laughs> i absolutely love to have him on the podcast. Um, this is a just an excellent CD. Again, it's one of my favorites. We're going to offer this as the curiosity of the week, and whoever gets it, I'm telling you, you're lucky. It's good stuff. 
You can pick it up at our Etsy shop. I'll put a photograph of the CD in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase that and other curiosities of the week, those that are left. The artwork for this episode is available to purchase as well. That's on Etsy. I'd go get it quick. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's a nice one, yeah. It's pretty good artwork. Uh, it will probably sell pretty quickly. It might be gone by it the time. It is a monster. It's a Bigfoot. Yeah. It'll probably be gone by the time the patrons get it. But we'll see. It's up there as of this recording anyway. The Paracord Rosaries. They've been selling really well, and I've kind of buckled down. I was just selling one and making one, selling mm-hmm. one and making one. I've made a few extras, so they're more available now. So if you go there in the Flowered Path section of the shop, if you go there, Paracord Rosaries, pick them up. Handmade by me. They're big. They're not dainty little things. No, and they're tough. They're, yeah. they're like strong rosaries or good hiking rosary, you know, <laughs> if you need to take a rosary with you when you hike. It's probably not a bad idea. Hey, yeah. <laughs> So those are there. Uh, Strange Familiars t-shirts, stickers, patches. All of my books are there and more. Our shop name is Lost Grave, but if you type in Strange Familiars, you should see our stuff come up. And purchasing stuff from our Etsy shop helps support the show as well. So thanks, everyone, who does that. Reminder about our antique stands, American Daydream in York. Allison's got a stand. You want to give your partner stand a little plug as well oh yeah and please um if you're on instagram you can follow plastic deer vintage that's my friend christy we share an antique stand together yeah she does like we she's 1970s and i'm 1870s <laughs> yeah so you're right next to each other right next in to American each other Daydream. yeah yeah, yeah so if you, if you could give her a follow on instagram i would appreciate that yeah she does sweetie. sort of like mid-century modern stuff mm-hmm. and you know more 20th century yeah. Kind of vintage and antiques. I like stuff that smells like mold. <laughs> <laughs> Your stuff is older. And then over at Black Rose Antiques in Hanover, we have another stand that we're doing with Chad. And Chad has axes there, and he's got wool there, and he's got camping pans and wool blankets. You name it. We have the usual stuff there. My books are there. My books are also at American Daydream. But my books are at both antique stands. We have... Frame pictures, lots of frame pictures over at Black Rose, different paintings. It did not occur to me until you were talking that, like, York is the White Rose City, Lancaster is the Red Rose City, and Hanover is the Black Rose City. Yes. That's How much cooler is that than... I know. <laughs> I'd trade that even up. I, I know. like the Black Rose. Let's see. What else we have? Oh, lots of books at Black Rose we have. Mm-hmm. We're adding more all the time. Uh, I like Hanover. I like an excuse to go to Hanover. They got great places to eat over there. It was always fun when I was a kid to go to Hanover. I have some uranium glass over there. I have uranium some other glass. Yeah. Books. Lots of books. I've been thinking about, I might put in some paracord rosaries over there as well. We'll see. Again, that's at Black Rose Antiques in Hanover. If you're local, you can check that out. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Collar Arts. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stonebreath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, and you can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com.
the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? 
We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.